Our guests today are Emmy nominee Nessie Sharongo and Emmy winner Brian Tucker and their short film, Sabi the Cat. Nessie Sharongo is an Emmy-nominated Ethiopian Nambian filmmaker, educator, and community organizer. Now primarily drawn to documentary and narrative filmmaking, her work focuses on the intersection of gender, race, sexuality, and immigration status. Now, Netsi is passionate about representation and empowering the next generation of storytellers and currently serves as the Director of Education at the Northwest Film Forum. Now, Brian Tucker is a three-time Regional Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker. Brian has worked on a wide range of documentaries, nonprofit, and commercial projects throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond, including for Vice, PBS, the Seattle Seahawks, and The Guardian, just to name a few. Now, his most recent short documentary, Flat Town, was broadcast nationally on PBS Real South. Their short film, Savi the Cat, is a heartwarming story of the highs and the lows of a first-time cat owner. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome filmmakers Nancy Sharongo and Brian Tucker and their wonderful short film, Savi the Cat, to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. You're very welcome. I'm going to kind of throw this to both of you, and I'll and we'll let Nancy go first. Uh, how did you both get into filmmaking? Um, well, oh, that's a good that's a good question. I uh, was in maybe my uh, second year of college, and I was reading essays. I was so sure that I was going to be a film critic at best. And I read an essay by Bell Hooks uh, called, yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head what it was, <laughs> it was called, um, but um, it was a Bell Hooks essay that sort of changed my life and made me realize that I needed to be a filmmaker because I've always been obsessed with film. I just didn't realize I could do that. And yeah, well, that's how it started. And I needed to pursue my dreams and so I graduated from school and with a minor in film and black studies and then moved to Seattle and started to pursue work as a PA and moving forward. I've, that's what I've been doing since. Well, was there a particular film that just hit you and you're like, I want to do that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, in the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai, I think, as well as Itumama Tambien by Alfonso Cuaron. They're actually on my wall. I think for me, I'd always been so concerned with having to, you know, limit my artistic vision to the ways that I'd seen films in this country. Um, I'm an immigrant and I, I wasn't sure how to tell my story, um, but seeing these films allowed me to understand that I didn't have to contextualize my my own writing for a Western audience. I could just tell my story, and you know, if I told it well enough, if I was specific enough, then people would understand, regardless of what language it was in, if it was authentic, and it was real, and it was powerful, and it was from the heart. Yeah, I agree with that because I think everybody should have the freedom to tell their story. And I think film is one of the most powerful mediums to do that. Brian, 
Where did you get started in filmmaking, and what was the film that uh, struck you the most to uh, be passionate about it? Mm. Yeah, I I didn't study filmmaking. I kind of stumbled into it um, while filming uh, my first documentary in 2013, and it was about my wife uh, searching for and reuniting with her birth family in Tennessee, and um, I only knew one person at the time that had a video production business. So he was kind of my mentor and um, kind of coached me through, you know, operating a camera and um, and even later on editing the film. So I just made that film while working like a full time desk job. And um, and, and it did pretty well. Like we, we got to travel around the country with it, my wife and I, and uh, ended up getting on Netflix um, and Hulu. So that was just a really fun experience to be able to show the film to audiences and see how it impacted them. And I was just like, man, I want to do this again. So I kind of started to plot my, my way out of my day job and doing this full time. And I did that back in 2014. Wow. That, you know, both of your stories are, they're just incredible because, you know, everybody discovers film in a very different way. And that's, what's so great about our world there's so many things that can just it could be just that perfect timing that piques our interest plants that seed of desire and destiny and hopefully when that happens we pursue it and y'all did that well i had the absolute pleasure to screen sabi the cat so where in the world did you both come across this story well Ken, uh, the one of the main people featured in the story is a longtime friend of mine from college. We've known each other for 12 years. And so he told me the story over the phone one day in 2021. And he's always just made me laugh. Um, so I was just like in tears laughing over the phone. And I might have called Nessie later that day because, you know, she's been a friend of mine and a collaborator on many projects and um, knowing kind of her story as an immigrant. And we had had all these conversations, you know, previously about kind of American ideals with pets versus, you know, like other African countries, you know, how they view pets. So I knew she loved this story and in telling her about it, I was like, we should, we should like go and like do an interview with, with Ken and Kyla. Cause I hadn't heard Kyla tell the story at that point and um and see if this could be a film and so that's that's what we did well when i watched the film i can truly absolutely 100 percent relate to the story now i had a cat named sebastian a very beautiful medium hair tabby uh we had rescued him from a shelter because he was abused and but i was the only one he liked and he caused problems you know, in our marriage, and I had to give him up later to a pet sanctuary that would allow him to be taken care of and never have to worry about anything for the rest of his life. And he was an adult cat when I adopted him. I think he was already four years old, which is not for everyone. You know, everybody wants the cute kitten, which I completely understand. So, yes, I've felt every part of this film. Uh, do either one of you have a cat? I have a I, cat. 
<laughs> so you can Go definitely ahead, relate. Well, also do I fell in love with Ken and Kyla in this film. When you watch this film, ladies and gentlemen, you literally want to be friends with them because with Ken and Brian, you could probably really jump in on this one because with Ken, he has such a positive attitude. He's always smiling and you're like, I want to be his friend. It's just like, he's got to be the coolest guy to hang around. He is. And he, he really does know how to tell a story well. And just in everyday life, like when he's recounting stories of, you know, something he's, he's experienced, he knows how to embellish things in a way that's like, you know, appropriate where he's not making things up, but you know, he, he understands like the, the funny points of the story. And so I, I feel like he did that with me over the phone when he first told me the story and, and he, you know, he showed up well on the interview too. Like, you know, like he, um, yeah, he, he just, what well, we didn't bu- expect though was that was that the, just like the 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 moments of them remembering things differently like that's what was really surprising and and actually kind of made the film more interesting it was it was more than just like this wild story of you know how they got this cat and went through this journey with it it was kind of how they you know misremembered things and worked through things as a couple uh what was their reaction when you both went to them that you wanted to create their story as a short film. Yeah, they, they were kind of like, really, you know, like they didn't see the big deal. They, they knew it was a cool story, but they, they, they knew I hadn't really made films like this before. Um, and so they, they, they knew that it wasn't really my typical kind of project. Um, yeah. And I think, but I think they might have been convinced themselves even after their interview, because I remember Ken being surprised at some of the things Ke- Kyla said in the interview and vice versa. And so they both kind of saw that there was like some deeper elements to the story that could be explored. So I think that's when they and then later on down the line, after we secured an animator and I started to share little like illustrations that our animator Freya had done that's when Ken and Kyler were like, whoa, like this is actually going to be really cool. So they were all Well, Nancy, let me ask you this. What was it like directing a short film where you have to balance live action cinematography and that with animation? I mean, I think it was an interesting process because we knew that there were things that we could not, uh, we just couldn't show. I actually have a tiny dog myself. She's a little rescue dog. She's actually right here. Um, She's just been uh, very quietly trying to cause chaos uh, throughout this interview. (laughs) And I think, you know, it's one of those things that um, she, for example, my dog has done very insane things in my home. And when she has done those things, I have not gotten the camera out even as a filmmaker and been like, wow, let me shoot this. I've been, I've come home. I've been horrified. We just, it's not our a natural instinct. So uh, by, by nature, Ken and Kyla never did those things with Savi, you know, they cleaned it up. They talked about it maybe. And we, so we knew we wanted to capture those things, especially when they were talking about it, especially the spray, for example, 
those those things those those really terrifying things you know the arguments you know you're not you're not unless you're an influencer you're not shooting yourself having a, a knockdown drag out fight about a cat you know so so we knew we wanted to showcase that and and we wanted to also be empathetic about these characters and we wanted to show them in their humanity so it felt right to absolutely have you know aspects of our story which were animated in a way that felt in harmony with sort of the ways that we were shooting. And so I love it was the, yeah. Cause I love the balance. And, and one of the main, main reasons why I love the balance of the live action with the animation was the way that both of you set the story up because as the story is moving along myself as a viewer, I'm sitting there thinking, how does this end? How does this end? And then when you think that it's ending, the story actually picks up and continues. And so I think the balance between the, the live action and the animation was such a perfect mix. Um, I also have to give kudos to uh, Ken and Kyla because of the fact that when the cat when Savi would do something, let's say destroyed a piece of furniture and they came home, Ken's attitude was like, the cat doesn't know. You know, the cat doesn't know it did wrong. And, you know, <laughs> I, we've had cats, we've had dogs, and we, ha we, we have a dog now. And the thing is, is, you know, a, a pet doesn't know the difference between wrong and right until you teach them correctly. And that doesn't mean beat them with a newspaper. <laughs> okay. There are yeah. ways to train pets correctly. And ladies and gentlemen, you better hear me that hear what I just said, because I'm a, I think all of us here in this interview are pet lovers. So you treat them like a member of the family, but you set them straight in the right way. <laughs> but I love that about Ken and Kayla, you know, they, they kind of knew like, you know, it's almost like a, having a, a child at home. They're not going to know right from wrong until you teach them. And, and I love that, um, I guess, that empathy or that love that they showed towards Savi in the beginning before it got a little bit too much to handle. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I think what's interesting about uh, our generation, well, millennials and Gen Z, is that, you know, pets are often the placeholder for kids. You know, um, we when you're thinking of milestones, this is the time when our parents would be having children, buying homes, and for a variety of reasons, that is not happening. And so, you know, the, these are the these are what these are the things that we are choosing to to actually do with our partners. And so, I think they're sort of the test or like a stress test for relationships. But we're doing the same exact things, you know. Like this is my child, <laughs> this little dog. This is my. <laughs> <laughs> I spend so much money on her, you know, but this is, you know, I think in the relationship, this is how we show up with each other. I think it's really an interesting idea. But this I, I love the film's dynamic with, with the, with the couple and, and the cat where you do pick up that area of the cat is now the child. You pick that up. I also felt sorry for Ken because he brings the kitten home. He's he's gifting his wife with this cute little 
kitten and just saying, you know, I love you. I want you to have you have this kitten and not knowing what was going to happen. And then in the midst of all of the, the Savi growing up, there's always this chaos. There's this tension and almost like they don't want to offend one another. But at the same time, I love the fact that they have a, a very strong, um, communication in their relationship and you and you showcase that through the camera yeah we we really wanted to make sure we included those parts where you know the the conflict they acknowledged the conflict that they had while also not making it maybe seem like the cat almost led to an, a divorce which wasn't the case but i think the way they kind of described it um in that interview on the couch was, you know, it just made it very clear that, that, yeah, like life would not be very just happy if this kind of these little arguments were happening day after day after day. And I think the way they kind of laid it out in the story, like, um, will lead most people to have, I guess, empathy for, you know, the decision they had to make, um, just for their, for their marriage for, as a couple. Well, what was the most interesting twist to the story for you? <laughs> Personally. I, it's hard to talk about the story like without giving away the details. I know, right? I know. Yeah, so let's don't, do, <laughs> let's don't do any spoilers because I want everyone, I'm going to give all of you the, the opportunity to, to see yeah. uh, this film. And we don't want to give it away because the way... Because I feel like there's... I feel like there's like several, there's several kind of like twists, even at the end, like right at the end, when you think you understand like how it's going to end, there's a couple little twists that kind of throw you off and, and make you think like, oh, wait, is it not going to end this way? So I feel like yeah. that's why it's, it's hard. To, it's hard to talk about the full story without kind of well, making it. We'll, you know. we'll keep the suspense going. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you about the design of the animation. I love the design that you chose. Where did that inspiration for that particular design for the animation come from? Well, we sort of gave, we, we chose an animator who is incredibly talented. Um, and, you know, that took a very long time. That was an entire process. Um, Brian reached out to an animator friend it, and, you know, they're in, like his animator friend reached out to his students and eventually we found an incredibly talented animator and we sort of let her sort of take the reins in how she wanted to draw this, these characters because she's incredibly talented. And, you know, one of these things as filmmakers, we want to actually give people the reins, especially <laughs> with animation. And so we sort of let her artistic uh, talents shine and she did an amazing job. So for both of you, is this the first time that you have dealt with an animator? Yeah, for me, definitely. Yeah. So it was like Nancy said, I just wanted to kind of trust. I, we had seen enough other work samples that Freya had done, um, you know, in her young budding career, she was just a year out of, out of uh, design school. So that was really kind of like, wow, like you're 
you're really good already, um, this, this young. And, um, she gave us a couple different samples after we kind of talked about the story and, and one of them was, was, uh, I can't remember the process, but it was where like the, the computer system or the, the editing software would kind of like predict the lines after you would illustrate. And then she said, this other process is kind of cooler, but it's like more laborious. I have to go frame by frame. And of course we liked that process better when she showed it to us. So we're like, let's go with that one, even though it's going to take more time, it's going to cost more money. It just, we just like the vibe of it. Um, so that's why that's how you kind of, if it has that hand drawn feel, um, each frame. So it, it does. yeah, it was just a process of going like little, you know, section by section and she sent it to us and, and we would, you know, make notes and stuff. And, and, um, even down to the last, you, when we were finishing the, um, the final animation up, like we were having her tweak just like skin tones of Ken and Kyla to make sure that they were like representative of real life. And, and, um, yeah, so, but other than those things, like we really kind of let her, let Freya just kind of. When I was watching and, and I watched it more than once and as I was looking at the animation, um, there seems to be this flavor of a Jamaican, maybe African type flavor of the animation. Did I get that right? Because of the color is what really, you know, just popped out at me. I was like, this is really cool. And it flow, it made the whole short film flow very well together. Yeah, we definitely just had, um, we had her, we gave her all these photos of Ken and Kyla, um, Kyla with different hairstyles and Netsy can talk more about this, but like we, and, and then with Ken, he just, he's a very colorful dresser. And so he's not Jamaican, he's from Kenya, but it's funny because as a friend of his, you know, so many people like would ask him if he was from Jamaica just because of his accent and, you know, and so he would laugh about that. But, um, but I think maybe that's where you picked up on that was just because of like the, the color palette that, that Freya yes. chose to work with. And, and Nancy, for you, uh, did you add your own flavor to this film? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I suppose uh, in, ter in terms of, can you elaborate on that? Well, you know, because, you know, Ken and Kyla, okay. And like, like you just said, Brian, he's from Kenya and your background uh, is Ethiopian and, and Nambian. So, you know, cultural wise, you would pick up things that I'm not going to pick up on. But I feel that, you know, I think your expertise really showed through this film and, and bringing, I guess, some of those elements uh, to the screen, which I absolutely fell in love with. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because uh, from the beginning of the story, um, it felt important to sort of showcase both Ken and Kyla uh, authentically and even sort of interviewing them and asking them questions. Um, things that didn't make the cut are sort of the questions that I asked Ken about his childhood before we started shooting. Um, sort of the background as to what was motivating Ken in his actions. 
um, as well as, which actually unified because Ken and Kyle were sort of operating from their childhoods as opposed to sort of living in the present. But in terms of sort of the way that, pe that both Ken and Kyla look, it was important also for me to make sure that Kyla looked a certain way. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that she authentically looked <laughs> like a black woman. And so she had hairstyles that represented that, you know, so she was wearing in when she was home, she had certain hairstyles and I mean, I wanted to make sure of that. And when she was outside, she had certain hairstyles like that. I think otherwise, my, I think the ways that we, the ways that I showed up in sort of this film as a whole was more sort of in the storytelling aspects and sort of, you know, I don't know if my Africanness is, is sort of how that manifested because I think we were both present in this. Yeah. But well, yeah, I, at the same time, you can, you can relate. You know, and of course, Brian's known Ken for a very long time. And, yeah. you know, so I can, you know, I look at this as, you know, speaking to both of you and then look at it, uh, Ken and uh, Kyla, where it's almost like a, it's almost like a family affair and putting this incredible story together. And as I was watching, I was kind of wondering, and I'm not going to give away the end. Uh, would we ever see a possible animated series of maybe the adventures of Savi the Cat in the future? Ken is definitely interested in that. Yep. Um, I don't know if Netsy and I will, you know, pursue that necessarily, but I, I'm always open to any opportunities. Um, but Ken, you know, Ken, after kind of seeing the the end product, um, he's so excited about. They're both so excited about the story and, and where it's taking all of us. Um, so he he did talk to me. He's like, yeah, I have this whole whole idea about like a, a fully animated. We can create different storylines, and it could allow us to like because there it, it was a really long interview, and like Netsy talked about, we we did leave a lot of things out, like a lot of really interesting story like backstories for both of them. And so Ken's idea is that you know maybe like a longer series could could tell the full story of like them as a couple and this cat. And, you know, and then there's infinite possibilities, you know, maybe the cat is a talking cat, like how we see in a lot of animated shows. And, um, like a Garfield-esque cat. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. And, and, you know, of course, then you just create all the fictional storylines for all of the different adventures. And I think it would be fantastic, especially in today's time, to see this type of animation, because I loved it for the fact that it, it stood out and I've seen a lot of different animations and some of them are so beautiful and some of them are funky, but this one just stood out to where I think it's because of the color, uh, the way uh, the animator created the movements. I loved it. And for both of you, how does it feel to be selected and have the film be shown at the Tribeca Film Festival? surreal um you know <laughs> uh in america i grew up in dc and uh just sort of stalked the blockbuster uh halls in the independent section and just like picked movies per week i was such a nerdy little teenager and 
I was just obsessed with going to Tribeca at some point in my life. Um, I had no idea that I would be able to actually show a Tribeca. So honestly, I don't even believe it's real until like they hand me a pass. Like I still don't believe it's real. Like it feels like a dream. This is crazy. So yeah, it's very crazy to me. What about you, Brian? Yeah, it's it's amazing just to think about where we started with the film. And like you had said before, it, it was like a family affair because, you know, Netsy and I are friends, Ken's a friend. And, you know, it was just a passion project that, you know, we had started out. And, and honestly, there was like a seven month period where nothing was being done on it because we we're still looking for an animator. And so it was just one of those things where like, you know, and then once we had an animator, everything kind of locked in and she worked on it slowly for the last year. But so it has been like a long process, even though it's a short film. And so to, you know, to have it play at Tribeca is just, it's pretty wild just to think that, you know, this kind of like no budget passion projects has reached that level. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize it. So I, when I talk to other directors and I said, well, how long did it take you to, to film it? And they'll say, Oh, we did it in three days or we did it in, in five days. And then of course it goes through the whole editing process with animation. I've been told, Oh, I've been working on this one for eight years or it's been taken. It's three long years. And so animation, yeah, it takes a very long time. And like you said, you bring up something that I really never thought about. You have to find the right person with the right touch. And hopefully their artistic eye matches your vision and when that happens then the magic shows up and uh but with this film Savi the cat uh has it been shown at other film festivals and if so what did the audience receive from the film oh yeah absolutely um we, we've been we premiered at the pan-african film festival uh, and we show we've shown at hot docs as well as cleveland international and sif and it's been interesting. I think we've had a generally really warm reception and people have had really an interesting experience. We've had people who have said that they've cried, people who are just really, really excited to support. And it seems like people are really excited about the momentum of this film. And we're really excited and happy that we got into Tribeca and really want to follow our film which is really nice to hear yeah yeah and uh so for both of you what's next hmm. what's next um i'm just continuing to run my video production business um i have also do like films on the side like this so i'm wrapping up editing a feature that i've uh worked on with a few other um, friends over the last couple of years. And then my wife and I are actually doing a feature documentary based down in LA, um, around over medication and, and foster care. Um, and we're working with the organization organization down there on that. Um, and then, yeah, I'm still kind of pursuing other ideas too, and things that I can fit in my, in my schedule. And Nancy, what about you? I just had a premiere of another short doc at a festival maybe two weeks ago. <laughs> and, um, but I'm still working on coloring that. 
and yeah, I I work at a nonprofit, a film nonprofit, and so I'll be working there. Yeah, that's what I'm up to this. Oh, and I'm finishing a script for a feature, so that's what I'm working on. Well, I want to thank both of you, <clears throat> Nancy and Brian, for coming onto the program, sharing your wonderful film, Savvy the Cat. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to go to TribecaFilm.com. So if you cannot be at the Tribeca Film Festival to see this incredible film in person, which is going to be appearing at Tribeca on June 11th, June 15th, and June 17th. And again, if you can't attend the screenings in person, you can watch Savvy the Cat online at TribecaFilm.com starting June 19th through July 2nd when you sign up on the Tribeca website. So I encourage you to do that. So if you are a film lover like me and you you love short films, you this is one that you need to watch. I fell in love with it. If you're a pet owner, you're going to fall in love with it. Even if you're not, you're going to love it. And if you're a filmmaker, you can watch it and learn something, okay? And that's what we all do here in film. We can learn from one another. Again, go to TribecaFilm.com to watch Savvy the Cat online from June 19th to July 2nd. I want to thank you for watching the Ward Bond Show and catch our replay of our TV interview with Nessie and Brian on our YouTube channel, Bond on Cinema. And as for me, I'll see you next time.